The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Welcome once again to uh, 442 Insider, where, as the name suggests, we take you inside 442, the magazine and website, uh, Australia's premier football magazine and website. Joining me, Andy Jackson, publisher, today, I've got uh, Kevin Ayres, our online editor, deputy editor, Trevor Trahan, and our special guest, uh, former Sydney FC striker, David Drillich, who's going to be joining us to comment on uh, on everything in the pod today, but also talk about what he's been doing uh, since leaving the A-League. So uh, we're going to kick off and get straight into it, into section one plenty uh, plenty of stuff going on as you would expect as we get another week closer to the season um, Ernie Merrick on the website this week was talking about uh, welcoming his football superstar Luke into the fold and uh, saying that he actually thinks that it's getting harder for young players to get an A-League contract because the depth of quality is increasing um, would we agree with that Kev? I don't know. I think all things are relative. Yes, it is going to be harder for them to get a contract than perhaps maybe last year or the year before. But given that five years ago there was no youth league and no A-league, things are improving and we're we're improving all the time. Uh, There is a huge depth, but I think we are still losing a lot of good players overseas at a young age. So there's gaps appearing. We've got the youth league route now there for them. We're looking, hopefully, to get either a reserves league or a B2, A2 league going. I think the, there is going to be more development. And yeah, it's, it's yeah. all good. It's all good. I mean, there's only so much they can do in yeah. one go. You know, last mm-hmm. season we did with last season the youth league, now two new teams. I mean, there is a danger of doing too much too quickly. I think it's all got to be considered. Trev? On the football superstar show, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was really. I prefer MasterChef, but I still thought it was really, really. <laughs> Maybe good. I'll combine the two. <laughs> yeah. like, next season is football star meets MasterChef. Someone has to r- rustle up a risotto at half time or something. Um, up a goal. Yeah, exactly. I thought it. You know, it was, um, it was a good show in itself, and I didn't actually watch it last year. But the standard this year, even though you don't get to see, you know, masses of game time them playing. There seem to be about three or four players in there that you'd think you know could make A League or you know National Youth League. Well, certainly, um, the final never, three when you saw them play that that practice game with Dottie and the Melbourne Beach, they certainly didn't look out of place. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not surprised that the Luke they went with because he was he was a couple of years younger than I think that Cosy was his closest rival, and he seemed to you know I think Merrick was saying he's left footed as well, can play at left back or left midfield. So it's just who they were looking for, um, and yeah. Just, but he's going to start in the National Youth League, isn't yeah. he? He's not going yeah, straight yeah. into the A-League. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. Just just one thing about uh, you know the depth of quality that we've got. I was at the Young Socceroos training on Tuesday, and the interesting thing I thought from that, I know we're going to talk about it later, is that uh, so many of them were first-team regulars already, uh, and I think that's going to make a huge difference to our chances in the competition. These aren't players who are playing in lower leagues, they're not playing in youth leagues, they've got first-team experience already, and that, that's got to be a great thing. And that's something they wouldn't get in Europe at that age? I wouldn't think yeah. so, no. Well, just touching on that, the reason why they, um, they're playing first-team first football now is because of the youth league. They only got picked up because there was a, a, a new league set up so these young players could play. And then all of a sudden people are watching them because, let's face it, back when there was only a state league, nobody went to watch those games. And if they did, they rarely found the player that they were looking for. Playing with um, a youth league now, it puts them in the market. The, the, the coaches watch the games beforehand. They spot these kids out and then they push them up into the first league training 
with the first team squad and then eventually playing and then you'll see um, a bigger talent pool and going back to the uh, football superstar it's just great that we have a show like this that we're able to again another tool to um, to get out there and show everybody what football is in this country and how far it's gone in the last five years and um, you know whether these players make it or not uh, is is irrelevant. It's good that they're actually wanting to be on this show. That there is a show like that, and it's um, and that the talent pool is getting so good that it is actually getting tougher for kids to make it. So it's it's all good. But don't, as a player, like going back to sort of you know you're an A League player and then you see a show like this come on and then the next thing the, the, the winners training with you guys what, what's what's the grizzled old, old pro's view of that is it like do you feel that like, they haven't done the hard yards or do you just look at it and go they're a good player it doesn't really matter how we find them these days depends depends what kind of a person you are I mean me personally I think well I've been waiting for years and years for uh, football to be recognised in this country and all of a sudden you've got a show with you know two stars hosting it. I mean, that would never have happened five years ago. You couldn't even imagine it. So I think it's great, you know, and it opens opportunities uh, while you're playing but also when you're not playing. There's, there's a lot more things that you can do after football. So if, if you're a selfish person, you just think, oh, I wish that was me, well, you know, fair enough. But I, I seem to look at the bigger picture and I think that it's great that these kind of things are happening and uh, football's just going from strength to strength and uh, it's all good for the game. I think as well, I think, I think it'd be interesting, I was actually chatting to, to the North Wong uh, guys, Adam, last week and he was saying, you know, that there was a genuine chance, which was unfortunate in season one that Adam got, got injured really quickly when he was about to be in the first team squad for the first game. But it's what hasn't happened yet, which, which hopefully may happen this year, is the first time one of the people from the show actually steps foot on the A-League pitch when Simon Hill or, or Andy Harper really says, and you know, now coming on as substitute or starting a game is the football superstar. And then again, I think that that's the next step that then you know validates the process. I think this is, that is the crucial, important stage in this uh, in the, the showcase of the superstar and the the series future. The guy's got to live up to the hype now. He's actually got to, you know, show some potential. Even if it's just in the youth league, he's got to show some potential. But if he disappears into obscurity, like some of the Australian Idol uh, contestants, winners have done. I mean, uh, my local pub, Wes Carr, is currently playing uh, support to Ruby Rose in a pub. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it's easy to come out of these competitions thinking you're the next big, big thing, but... Uh, You've got to actually carry on and live up to the hype. Are they going to carry on rotating it? Because obviously Sydney first year, Melbourne second. Are they going round the A League team? That's the plan. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure whether they've actually released where it's going to go next. But um, I think there's, there's a couple of uh, couple of obvious options where they could go next. But um, all right, moving on. Uh, someone that certainly hasn't arrived via a TV show is uh, Wellington Phoenix's new striker, uh, Paul Eiffel. Uh, 29-year-old uh, Barbadian international. Uh, looking at his stats, you know, he played 33 games last season for Crystal Palace. Um, he's been released by them and, and has signed pretty quickly with Wellington Phoenix. So it seems like you know, he's at height of his powers, you would say, 29, yeah. about two years. I reckon he could win the Golden Boot, to be honest with you. Him and Chris Green. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think he'll help uh, Chris Greenacre win it. I think that's a great signing for, for Wellington. Um, I mean, I don't know if you knew, but last season, Shane Smelt scored uh, 52.1% of Wellington's goals. So if you take out over half of your team's goals, you know, you've got to find a replacement. And those two new players, um, you know, seem good signings. I mean, I think Perth and Wellington were in a similar position. They both lost 
star strikers, but they both probably would have got decent money from them. That's you know, Rukovic at Perth and then Smeltz at Wellington. And they had to take that money and sort of buy two or three quality players with it. And they seem to have done it and they could end up, you know, benefiting from those sort of big money sales and make the finals this time. And looking at his, uh, his Wikipedia entry, he was destined to be a footballer with a middle name of Everton. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's only one thing he was going to be. You might have pushed your parents there, I think. David, the, the, the UK has, has probably had mixed success for the A-League, would you say, in terms of bringing over players? We've had some successes, some failures. We have, but I think um, it's definitely in the short term there's going to be uh, more of the same, so there's going to be more players coming from the UK. I think definitely the biggest uh, player to come was still Dwight York in uh, in every fashion. I mean, he was uh, obviously the big marquee man, but uh, a great um, a great ambassador for the A-League and, and getting it off the ground. Uh, going back to Phoenix, I think, look, lose, losing a player like Smilts, who I think was the best striker in the league last year, is a big hole to fill and with fifty uh, percent of the goals coming from him, they needed to get uh, one or two strikers. They've done that. I think Wellington played quite well last season. So, uh, you know, if these two players can score goals like Smilts did, I think they might uh, have a chance to, to break into the, to the top yeah, uh, or get into the finals. If you actually look, Kevin, their starting lineup. It's not a bad team. It's not too bad, actually. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody, including myself, has written Phoenix off for next season, thinking that, you know, with that smell, it's not going to be anything. But they've not got a bad lineup up now, uh, and especially with Eiffel uh, coming in. They pulled off a real coup there, because Brighton uh, album were literally on the point of signing him, yeah. and expects him to turn up for a trial training match that night. Interesting. I could probably understand it if he was a Kiwi, but given that he's, you know, a Barbadian, I wonder what what his thought process was behind being 29 offers from you know Brighton League One. Or um, yeah, they're about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> he's chosen to come to the A League to play in New Zealand. <clears throat> David, as a player. Is, is that a sign that we're becoming more attractive as a destination to come and play football? Definitely, I think that when most of the players that I've um, you know come into contact with, they come from overseas, just have the dream of playing in a climate like Australia and playing in Australia. I mean, it's it's, it's not a hard choice for them. They're, they're getting to the age where you think 29, sure, but he's, he's playing a crystal player. It's not in the Premier League, so what's his options? He'd probably prefer to come now when he still can to a place like Australia, and maybe it might be his retirement. He might want to end up here. A lot of players are considering that, and even when I was in Germany, I always had players asking me about Australia, and that was just when it was a concept. Yeah. So imagine and now when, when there's a lot of reviews you see these players like Dwight York coming here uh, Benito Carboni these kind of players I mean um, if they can, if it's good enough for them then obviously it's good enough for, for a lot of players and I think they're definitely looking at it as an option now Alright Okay moving on um, obviously there's been Kev you mentioned earlier that you've been down to look at the uh, the under 20 training camp this week um, obviously they're heading off I think to Argentina for a warm up tournament uh, we touched on this there's a lot of A-League players in the squad um, obviously that's a, that's a double edged sword it's great for the A-League that these guys are going to go and represent the country and hopefully do well but what's the impact going to be on the A-League you know, it's a four, five, six week dent to the way we're going to be without those players yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it, it's one of those things that you have to accept is going to be a good thing for the, the players individually. Uh, and there is sufficient depth uh, in all the squads to cover for youngsters being away. Uh, and I think the overall contribution it's going to make to Australia and Australian football, you have to just accept that uh, it's a very good thing. And I think, you know, 
it might not be the best team we've ever had. I genuinely don't know. I've not really studied them in the past, but I do know there's a lot of not necessarily household names, but names that A-League fans will recognise and playing you know, regular top-flight football has to be a good thing and has to increase our chances over you know, other players from other countries, which probably in youth leagues or reserve leagues. Yeah. Trev, um, tough group, again, for, for Australia. Brazil, uh, Costa Rica and the Czech Republic. Um, interesting angle with, uh, with uh, Mr Levitska at Sydney SC he used to take this team on him the Czech Republic yeah. team so I wonder if the FFA had been on the phone for a bit of a scouting report <laughs> so, uh, so there's some interesting subplots there obviously Brazil are going to be the, 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 the team to worry about but uh, do, we, do you think they've got a chance of getting out of the group? Um, I think all things at this level is about a learning experience and getting those players prepared for when they you know, play at a higher level. And there's nothing wrong with having a tough group. I mean, I don't think they're going to get smashed in the sort of way that's going to crush their confidence. If they're going to play against you know, really strong technical players, the sort of things that we've been banging on about for years that Australian players need to have, then you know, there's nothing wrong with taking on those sort of guys. As for making out of the group, I would like to say. David, the, the, at this level, I'm going to the big debate that is, is in, in football and particularly over here is results versus performance you know so if Australia get out of the group playing ugly would we take that or if they, they get beaten in every game and come home early but they've played they've played the 4 foot 3 3 structure they've played in, in the manner in which we want to see and which camp are you in at, at this sort of age group well I think Obviously, the balance is very, very hard at times um, for coaches. There's obviously a lot of pressure for them to perform. But my personal opinion is is that uh, the the young Socceroos and the young teams are there to develop. They're, they're there to develop into a way that we want to play at national team level. When you look at someone like Holland, they they very. Um, they're very precise in how they want their young teams to play and, and they have to play that way. So they they probably get the results playing that way, but it's not results driven. They're, they have to play their 4-3-3 system and that's it. So I think you know you need to develop um, your players first and then results second. But unfortunately, we know how the world works. If, you start, if you're not getting the results, there's a lot of pressure, especially now with the way football's going. And, um, you know, so I can understand coaches wanting to just get the result as well. Yeah, and the good news is for, uh, for fans there was a bit of debate on our forums this week about the TV uh, broadcast and, and we confirmed with SBS yesterday that all the Australian games will be shown live as they happen on SBS 1 on free to air which is, uh, which is great news so we'll be able to see firsthand how the, how the boys do. Alright we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk all things Arsenal and uh, whether Arsene Wenger can hold on to Arsenal's fi- permanent fixture in the top four. Goldrick Farrell solicitors are here to help all sporting people whether individuals, clubs or corporates right across every code of sport in Australia and around the world. Goldrick Farrell solicitors offer professional advice from their lawyers and sports consultants whether it's negotiating or renewing contracts or securing the best arrangements for your personal, business or property interests. Goldrick Farrell Milan solicitors have the team for you. Contact partner Barry Milan now on 02-92-67-73-11 or visit www.gfm.com.au The Socceroos have done their bit. Now it's time to do yours. Enjoy the ultimate 2010 FIFA World Cup experience with the Green and Gold Army on tour in South Africa. Known for their passion and pride in supporting the Socceroos around the globe, the 
Green and Gold Army's authorised travel packages will take you to the heart of Australia's support in South Africa. The Green and Gold Army's packages include tickets to all three Australian group stage games, tickets to four additional World Cup group stage games, all transfers to and from games and safe, secure accommodation in Johannesburg, just a goal kick down the road from the Socceroos base. Head to www.ggarmyontour.com or call 1300 300 756 for more information on Australian football's once-in-a-lifetime experience. But you'd better be quick as numbers are strictly limited and places are going fast. I just don't know what's wrong with some tradies today. Look at the vehicles they drive. More show than anything and certainly not tough. I reckon some tradies have even gone soft. For real, fair income tough tradies, there's only one choice, Mahindra. Mahindra's range of 4x2 and 4x4 workhorse pickups and cab chassis know how to get the job done. And they won't cost an arm and a leg, starting at 19990 drive away. Visit your local dealer for a test drive today or visit mahindrapickup.com.au. The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Welcome back to part two. Uh, we're going to now switch our focus over to English Premier League. We talked in depth last week about Manchester City and their uh, their astronomical spending. Uh, they've increased that again in the seven days since last week with the signing of uh, Emmanuel Adebayor from Arsenal. Uh, Arsenal also been hit with Sami Nasri breaking his leg in training this week. Although latest reports is it's not as bad as, as they first feared, so, but it's still going to be out for a, for a decent period of time. So I guess the question is uh, Arsenal's position as, the, as one of the permanent fixtures in the Big Four was under threat for a period from my boys Villa last season, where we couldn't, couldn't quite see them out. Um, this season, Kev, is this the season where someone else breaks into the top four at Arsenal's expense? I really don't think there's any doubt about it myself. Unless Arsenal come up with some key signings by the end of the, the transfer window, I just don't see them being able to compete with the big boys this season at all. Uh, you look through the, the side, there's not the depth, there's not the, the actual skill ability at the moment either. Fabrega is still the centrepiece of the team, but... For how long? Exactly. Still yep. subplot of will he stay? Will he even last to uh, January or maybe even the end of August? Who knows? Yeah. Uh, Trev, um, you know, Wenger's sort of, you know, has already come out making noises that he's not going to look to replace Adebayor mm-hmm. certainly immediately. Um, do you think that, that to to raise the morale and, and get the fans excited, do you think he needs to go out and, and spend 15, 20 million on a player? Um, so the thing is, I think he won't spend it unless he's really sure that's going to be a good sign. He's, you know, he's quite pragmatic like that. The uh, Ardre uh, Arshavin signing was an interesting one for Wenger to make because it went against pretty much what he normally likes to do. He wouldn't normally chase someone in his late twenties that you know other clubs were chasing and almost get held to ransom for this big fee. But you know he went and done it, and he's you know he was a massive success at the end of last season, which says you know should he go back on you know his policy of, of you know blooding young players and not spending a lot of money and, and do the same again. I don't know. There's something about I always like Arsenal to do well. I always like to see him. You know you kind of want the romance of their young players coming through, albeit probably foreign, which is what I thought you were going to say then, yeah. rather than Man City going out and just buying you know all their rivals thing. I actually think they'll be fourth again this season. I think City will break the top four. But I think they'll have to wait another year 
Are you David up front? I mean, they, they, you know, they're not short on strikers. You know, Robin van Persie, Eduardo coming back, Theo Walcott, Arshavin, mm. uh, who plays in that sort of, you know, just off the striker role. Um, do you think they need to go out and, and buy a, a, a figurehead to replace Adebayor? I think my opinion of Arsenal, and, and uh, it's admirable the way he goes about and tries to blood these young players and develop them from the academies and, and pick players to, to eventually play first-team football, but uh, I think it's clear that they're not going to win titles doing it that way. When they did win titles, they had Henri, they had Pires, they had these kind of players, Vieira, and they don't have these kind of guys in the, in the team now. So, yeah, you know, you have a look at last, last year, they have... They generally play good football, but there's always that patch or those couple of patches throughout the season where they drop three or four games and then they're out of the race. And I can't see that being any different this year because when you have a look at Man United, you have a look at now Man City and these kind of guys, Liverpool who had probably their best season, well, they did have their best season last year for a long time. They've just got too much quality and, and experience in the team and Arsenal don't have that. So if they don't buy players to, um, you know, to help the young ones out, uh, I think, you know, fourth at best. Yeah. I think that's actually the saddest thing about Arsenal's situation now is that we were just talking about whether or not they're going to make the top four. We should be talking about whether they should be winning yeah. the title. Yeah. Mm. You know, they, they are supposed to be one of the best teams in England. If, if you look back at the sign of Henri, I think they signed, he signed him from Juventus for about 11 million, I think. So he was a winger, wasn't he? Yeah, at the time, that, that was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, so he, he has got history of, of doing it. I mean, my, my personal opinion is that I think he does. I think they need... Up front, I mean, they you know they need someone. If you look at the players around them, you know uh, the teams around them: Man United with Rooney, Liverpool with Torres and Gerrard. They've got players who can turn a game and win you win you a one 0 game when you probably haven't deserved it. And I don't think that's what Arsenal got. I get the feeling that every win Arsenal get, they they've passed the other team off the yeah, park. They, they don't they don't struggle mm-hmm. as coming away with a with a one 0 win that they didn't deserve. And I think to win the championship, you need to do that. I mean, we saw Man United last season. What, how many games they've been 1-0 probably not playing very well Mm. Um, alright moving on Um, staying in England probably the biggest story this week and the most interesting was uh, was Svengor and Eriksson's return to English football with of all teams Notts County in the lowest tier of of the English professional league in League 2 Notts County longest uh, oldest English football club um, one of the founding members of the Football League uh, have previously been obviously in the top flight but, but not for a very long time so um, Kevin says it's not about the money I think <laughs> five it's million dollars a year allows you to say that though, I think it's about football manager actually if you look at Spain's uh, signings in the past or who he's played he played Jermaine Janus constantly for the England team when he was crap in real life, he was brilliant in football manager. And that's what he's done. He's been playing football manager. He's gone for England, which was the easy one. Then he's taken the challenge of Mexico. He's taken on Manchester City for the EPL. And now he's really gone for the ultimate challenge of taking a League Two side into Europe. Didn't he used to have to start in the bottom league in football manager? <laughs> he plays it like I do. You start easy and then work hard. Yeah. Trev, thoughts? Um, well, shocked, I think, to begin with, because um, we discussed in the pod before about um, listing all Sven's payouts and you know how much money he's accumulated. But you know, th- there's got to be something there that, that's made him gone there. And yeah, we know it's probably money. But that's an interesting move for them to have there because he will attract players. He's got, he has got a certain charm about him, Sven. You know, with players and women and everything really. And I think you know that's a good way to get players that would never normally give a second look at Notts County to that club. David. 
Your thoughts on a, a manager of that, that calibre dropping down? I mean, I, I, there isn't an equivalent in Australia. I, I guess it would be probably like Cosy dropping down to manage Dunbar Rovers, you know, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Well, I, look, I think the concept uh, of, of buying a traditional club like that in the lower leagues is, is, is probably a more financially viable one. Um, and, and I just don't know if, if Ericsson is, gonna, is the right man to do it. I mean, you can pay, you can pay him a lot of, lot of money, but is he, after a year when things are starting, you know, he really has problems there, is he going to want to stick around? I don't know. Uh, it's certainly a different challenge uh, than what he's faced thus far. But look, I think for these guys putting money into football, well, it's easier buying a club in the lower league and then you, you know you're more chance of making money out of it so for from that point of view I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens yeah I mean the subplot is that they've still got to pass the, the right and proper mm, owners sure. test yeah. I think um, but yeah I mean, we were talking about Alfred, is, that, is this a better strategy for guys with money who are looking to actually get a return than buying into a Liverpool at 300 million or a Man United at 500 million buy a club that, that does have a history that does have a yeah, let's face it, Nottingham is a, is a, is a, is a decent-sized city without a team in the top flight, you know, and without a team in the top flight for a few seasons. So is this a, a strategy that we may see more of, people rather than coming in and buying at the top end, buy at the bottom and build the club up? I think it's a strategy that will work fine if you're a football lover and you're willing to go through the good times and the bad times and stick with it through the years. Too many times we've seen people come in with a lot of money, invest it in the club, try and build them up from nothing, and it's, you know, worked in certain cases, Newcastle, Blackburn Rovers, Blackpool even, but the money runs out eventually, the interest runs out. Unless you're dedicated and you love that club, the money will run out and the interest will run out and you walk away, these people will walk away. And I can see that happening at Notts County, to be honest. I mean, these old shakes don't want, will probably want to be playing in Europe in, what, three years? I think the, the other funny side to this is it was the fact that obviously Sven was the victim of the sun, sort of shake gate, <laughs> where, where he was, you know, where he was you know, wooed on a boat whilst he was, uh, whilst he was England manager and talks about these fake shakes who are going to take over Villa and install him as manager and now he's actually taking a job you know, let's hope it's real the, the sun come out and go actually it's it all a bit of a laugh alright we're going to take another break uh, and then we'll be back to, uh, to talk with David and, and the, the panel about um, fans' relationships with players and, and when things don't go to plan. We've seen uh, David Beckham this week have a pretty ugly confrontation with some of the LA Galaxy fans. So we'll be back after this break um, to talk about that. Stay with us. I just don't know what's wrong with some tradies today. Look at the vehicles they drive. More show than anything and certainly not tough. I reckon some tradies have even gone soft. For real, fair income tough tradies, there's only one choice, Mahindra. Mahindra's range of 4x2 and 4x4 workhorse pickups and cab chassis know how to get the job done. And they won't cost an arm and a leg, starting at 19990 drive away. Visit your local dealer for a test drive today or visit mahindrapickup.com.au. Goldrick Farrell solicitors are here to help all sporting people, whether individuals, clubs or corporates, right across every code of sport in Australia and around the world. Goldrick Farrell solicitors offer professional advice from their lawyers and sports consultants. Whether it's negotiating or renewing contracts or securing the best arrangements for your personal, business or property interests, Goldrick Farrell Milan solicitors have the team for you. Contact partner Barry Milan now on 02-92-67-73-11 or visit www.gfm.com.au. Goldrick Farrell Milan solicitors are here to help all sporting people, whether individuals, clubs 
or corporates right across every code of sport in Australia and around the world. Goldrick Farrell solicitors offer professional advice from their lawyers and sports consultants. Whether it's negotiating or renewing contracts or securing the best arrangements for your personal, business or property interests, Goldrick Farrell solicitors have the team for you. Contact partner Barry Milan now on 0292677311 or visit www.gfm.com.au Back to 442 Insider Welcome back to 442 Insider. Uh, we're heading into the second half and we're going to have a chat now about... We've seen um, David Beckham have a, have a confrontation with LA Galaxy fans this week on his return, albeit from the, the safety of a moat in between. But, um, but even still, we want to talk with David, who is, uh, who's got a personal experience of this. And, uh, everyone talks about the fans' relationship with the players and, and the fans being the 12th man. But what happens when the fans turn? Um, and we saw it last season with John Aloisi getting slaughtered by his own fans. David, you probably copped your own fair share of abuse the season before. As a player, how does that feel? Well, nobody likes um, any any fans going against them. But usually, you, you know, you'd think if it was going to happen, it's the opposing fans. So when it happens to your own your own supporters, it's not a good feeling. And uh, definitely, there's a lot of different uh, emotions that, that that go you know through your mind. Initially, you, you sort of hope it goes away. Then you sort if it, if it keeps going like it did with Aloisi, like it did with me, um, you sort of get on with it. And then you you really want to prove them wrong. You know, uh, a lot of times it doesn't happen that way. But the other issue is when when you're playing and you know you, you are trying to do your best for the team it really doesn't help and you saw it with Aloisi more probably more you know visibly than than with me um, when he missed a couple of chances I can't remember the game that, that it was but uh, against yeah. Perth and you know I mean everybody knows John Aloisi and how good of a player he is but for him to miss two chances like that the way he did you could you could you could literally see the pressure and the weight on his shoulders and you know unfortunately I don't think just because he's getting that kind of money um, he should be expected to play 10 times better than anyone else he's still one of 11 um, but you know how far the fans go it's it's up to them they pay their money they can do whatever they want but if they think that they're going to get the best out of firstly the player and secondly the team it's not the way to do it because um, not only are they booing and jeering Aloisi but the other players who who obviously um, want to stick up for their teammate are not happy that one of their players is getting slaughtered like he is so yeah. um, you know while I can understand the frustration from the fans if um, if you want your team to go forward that's probably not the best way to do it but when you look around the world look at Beckham look at um, Ashley Cole look at uh, a lot of different players there's always a player that gets singled out and you know Liverpool for example when they don't like a player they do the same thing so you just basically got to get on with it it does seem to be sort of fans nature as a, as, a, as a Villa fan there's always one player that's the scapegoat for that season and, and nothing that he can do really seems to change that I mean I, I'm, a, I'm a believer in, I, I don't believe in booing my own team I just don't see that, it, that it's productive although I, I must admit and we talked about him earlier there's only one person I've ever booed in a fellowship and that was Dwight York and that was a day when he had put in a transfer request to go to Man United and Villa and Man United were haggling over the price and the season had started and first or second game of the season we, we played away at Everton and there was a big Villa contingent went up myself included and he just didn't try 
he was, it was, it was like he was saying, unless you sell me, this is how I'm going to perform. And he, he lost a lot of Villa fans, did, had no problem with him going to Man United because they could see that it was a step up. But his attitude that day turned a lot of Villa fans against him. And um, I, did, I did mention it to him when he was over. But, uh, I did. That, that's probably, that's <laughs> no, probably the only time I've ever done it. Kev, what's your view? You know, well, I, think, I think every club... The fans always have one player they pick on each year with every club. And it's not necessarily, you know, it, it can be just lampooning, you know, like uh, Boomsong was at uh, Newcastle. Um, you, you just get that player that just bugs you because they don't seem to be doing what they're paid for. Uh, but I think when you start booing them or, you know, uh, really trying to put them off the game, uh, because that's what it is. When you boo them, presumably it does put you off your game, increases the anxiety levels. For in your particular case, in Alois's case, I can see you trying even harder than ever. Mm. And it's not necessarily the best way to get goals when you're trying that hard. Well, you do try too hard. And, yeah. that, and, and anybody knows, in any, anything you do in life, when you're relaxed, you're more comfortable, things just happen easier. And when, when you're thinking about your own fans, you know, you can hear them, you know, in, in the back of your, you know, you can actually hear them. Can, That's the worst thing about say, it. Can, can, how audible is it? Are well, you able to just block it? Depends. Out, so actually, noise. if there's more, if the crowd is bigger it's it's probably um, better for the player because you hear less when yeah. it's a bigger crowd when there's when you go to um, one of these trial matches when there's like 2,000 people you hear every word that they say and that's probably the worst situation but um, you know back on your point Andy when you when you're talking about Dwight York see that's a whole different kettle of fish you, you, you're talking about a player who's maybe doesn't isn't showing the passion for the yeah. shirt anymore and, and you know that's totally different to some player who's just not performing who wants to perform doesn't want to perform like Aloisi I mean nobody can argue that he was actually trying his best to um to score goals and he actually did score goals for Central Coast the year before I think his problem was similar to what happened to me is he was injured before the season started wanted to get out there before he was fit it didn't work out that way so look you know also with the Beckham case you know, he, he, he clearly wants to be at AC Milan and I, I'm sure that a lot of these play, um, fans are saying, well, you're getting over $100 million to play for us, show a bit more respect. So you can understand different situations and I would be a bit annoyed as well. But, you know, where is the line, I guess the question is. Trev, how do you think you, you'd manage at the desk, you know, right in the stores if there was a couple of people there booing you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you seen our forums? <laughs> it won't make it any worse. Um, I don't think it's a, it's a black and white subject. I think it's a kind of a case by case thing. I mean, Ashley Cole, he deserves to be booed in the streets because he epitomises everything that's wrong about professional footballers. But when he got that though, okay, again, there's a background to that. But but the fans turned on him when he made a mistake and gave the ball away that led to a goal. Yeah. You know, I would have been. I would have been. Whatever Ashley Cole's done in his autobiography or whatever. Mm-hmm. At that time, he's an England player playing for England, and I want England to win the game. Mm-hmm. So, what what effect does that have on the rest? And as you say, David, on the rest of the team, you know, and I, and I just I don't see there's any point in that. You know, probably maybe maybe at the end of the game, if you're not happy with what you've seen and you don't think the players have given one, then maybe show a bit of frustration, but not during the game when a player gets the ball passed to him. I, I think. One of the worst booing I ever saw was at West Ham, who, who love booing players. But the season where we were struggling to go down, we just just stayed up at the end. And Nigel Rio Coker was our captain. He was a 20-year-old captain of you know 
a premiership football team that was struggling to stay up and he just was off for like he wasn't not trying he just wasn't playing bad as you know young lads struggle with form all the time and the West Ham fans were continuously booing and then he, he left for Villa at the end of the season there's absolutely no value in that whatsoever but that's not to say sometimes on the terraces you get so emotionally involved and you know you say things and you do things because you're involved with that team and that result and perhaps as you're walking away afterwards you think well that probably wasn't the way to act. I mean, mass booing is slightly different. But, yeah, I think it's a case-by-case it's case thing, that's what I reckon. It, as a player, how would you like to see players react? What do you think they should be doing to show what they feel? Well, obviously, the best way is to show on the park and get you know and, and try and um, improve your performance. But that's not always going to happen. And, and sometimes the player doesn't you know, play as often as you would like, doesn't get the opportunities, whatever the reason is. But I, I probably would say this. I mean, fans, I can understand the emotion coming from fans and that, and, I, and I'm the same. When I watch an event, any event, I get emotional and I'm there cursing the screen or whatever as well. So I can, I can totally understand that. But from, from a player and a team perspective, um, if you think that you're going to support one player or two players in the team and you know, sing their name and, and support them, then the next second boo another player um, I think from a whole team perspective the, the players are not going to be you know, too impressed with the fans in, in that sense because they want the fans to be supporting the whole team it's not always going to happen but um, unfortunately you know, you just got to get on with it and it's, it's not going to end anytime soon I don't think I think sometimes there's a lack of understanding from fans you know, going back to West Ham fans they'd love a tryhard someone that would run around like a headless chicken would be absolutely no use but they'd love him because he looks like he's trying if you have like you know perhaps a continental striker that you know might not run back as quickly mm. you know, they'll boo him because you know he's not running constantly the whole time and it's just a lack of understanding about the game sometimes mm. I remember when uh, David O'Leary was the Villa manager and he complained about the Villa fans being fickle and they unveiled that banner at the next game which was we're not fickle we just don't like you <laughs> <That's right. laughs> on that yeah, obviously we, we focused on the negative but the, the, there's also some great humour that comes from the terraces and, and do you hear that as well do you, when you're playing just, uh, if there's a a funny chant that goes around. Do you, do you sort of do you have time to like sort of take it in and have a laugh at it? Oh yeah, it's 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 great. I mean, look, ninety nine percent of it is all good. You know what I mean? And and you can't take away from that. I mean, sure, a lot of focus uh, went on Aloisi more so probably than than me. But um, you know, a lot a lot of the chants are, are great. You know, there's a great some some great songs there. There's an atmosphere is there. Which when you get people from all different codes that and there's a lot of different um, players that play for. NRL and AFL and they go to um, our matches they can't believe the atmosphere you know with all the singing they don't get that at their at their games so there's a lot of good to be to be said for the fans and, and I think the discussion that we're talking about now is a very small percentage of, of fans that come and watch the games and look like we said it happens all around the world it's not going to change anytime soon Alright we're going to take another short break stay with us we're going to be back uh, to talk again with David just about what he's been up to and life after the A-League and where he's been spending his time Goldrick Farrell solicitors are here to help all sporting people whether individuals clubs or corporates right across every code of sport in Australia and around the world Goldrick Farrell solicitors offer professional advice from their lawyers and sports consultants whether it's negotiating or renewing contracts or securing the best arrangements for your personal business or property 
property interests. Goldrick Farrell Milan solicitors have the team for you. Contact partner Barry Milan now on 02 or visit www.gfm.com.au. The Socceroos have done their bit. Now it's time to do yours. Enjoy the ultimate 2010 FIFA World Cup experience with the Green and Gold Army on tour in South Africa. Known for their passion and pride in supporting the Socceroos around the globe, the Green and Gold Army's authorised travel packages will take you to the heart of Australia's support in South Africa. The Green and Gold Army's packages include tickets to all three Australian group stage games, tickets to four additional World Cup group stage games, all transfers to and from games, and safe, secure accommodation in Johannesburg, just a goal kick down the road from the Socceroos base. Head to www.ggarmyontour.com or call 1300 300 756 for more information on Australian football's once-in-a-lifetime experience. But you'd better be quick, as numbers are strictly limited and places are going fast. I just don't know what's wrong with some tradies today. Look at the vehicles they drive. More show than anything, and certainly not tough. I reckon some tradies have even gone soft. For real, fair-income tough tradies, there's only one choice, Mahindra. Mahindra's range of 4x2 and 4x4 workhorse pickups and cab chassis know how to get the job done. And they won't cost an arm and a leg, starting at 19990 drive away. Visit your local dealer for a test drive today, or visit mahindrapickup.com.au. The latest on the world game, this is 442 Insider. Welcome back to 442 Insider. Uh, we're on the home stretch. We're going to have a, another chat with our special guest this week, David Drillich. Um, obviously, it's been a two se- second season out from the A League now. Two seasons, yeah. Um, back in the State League, playing with Sydney United, hooked up with uh, another former A League star in Ante Milicic. How's that, how's that been going? How are you guys tracking? Uh, it's been good. Um, I- I was injured coming off my contract at Sydney FC, so I missed the whole year after that. Um, and then Ante called me and, and basically uh, I started getting fit with them and, and I've really enjoyed it this year. I mean, um, we've been doing pretty well and, you know, he knows me. I played with him from my, my youth youth days at Sydney United. And, um, you know, so the relationship there is, is really good and it, and it helps me tie in with a lot of the other things that I'm doing as well. So it's worked out really well. What's it like being, being coached by a former peer? Do you know what? Um, I've, I'm doing a little bit of coaching myself and it's, it's so different to, to playing and there's so much more that you have to, to know about the game than, than being a player. As a player, you just focus really on your own position and what you're doing in your job. Whereas as a coach, you've got to concentrate on everything. And for Ante to make that um, look very easy and, and I really respect that because he's, I know how hard it is now just coaching at an amateur level that it's a quite a different scenario and he does it really well he's got a good relationship with the players um, the team atmosphere is good and you know he's able to manage maybe older players and more experienced players like, like myself as well there's no problem there no drama and it all runs quite smoothly and on top of that he's also got the young Socceroo assistant um, coaching role so he He's away in Argentina at the moment, uh, and he and he is able to, you know, to blend both jobs as well. So I think you know he should be respected for that. So your tip 
Ante, will we see Ante making a step up to the A-League in due course? Do you think? Do you think he's got the ability to do that as a coach? He's definitely got the ability. Uh, the, the question is the opportunities. I think now you're going to see a lot of coaches, ex-players, um, coming through the ranks and doing the coaching courses now. You're seeing all these guys, you know, Kevin Musket, Steve Corica, Paul Ocon, they're all coming, Vidmars, they're all doing these um, courses. And I think it's great for the game because all of a sudden there's this um, overseas European knowledge uh, probably that a lot of the players uh, and the coaches before us have, haven't had exposure to and I think there's a lot of different coaching techniques coming through and it's going to be it's just going to benefit our game I think the good thing as well is that obviously I, we've talked about the coaching side of things a lot on the podcast and the, 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 the new pathway for, for ex-players and it is AFC recognised now which I think the previous Australian national licences didn't really weren't recognised yeah. overseas so I think it's it, it, opens up opportunities for ex-players to, to get their education and then go and test themselves in Asia, come back with other ideas. Do you think, um, with your personal view, do you think being, you have to play a, a good standard to be a, a successful coach? It's another thing we've discussed before. It's hard for me to say because as a player, I would, I would certainly say yes, but then you, a lot of the top coaches have never really... Um, Certainly more recently, it's what we yeah, it's like Benitez it's, and Mourinho and you know. So I don't, I don't think I'm the best person to to say that because all I can say is that it's help helps me when I'm when I'm coaching at the moment. But there's so much more to coaching than playing. So I can totally understand that um, somebody who hasn't probably played at the highest level is still able to be a very good coach because a lot of the skills. Um, needed for coaching and not the skills that you need to be a good player. Obviously, when you were at Sydney, you worked with four of, four of the five managers, yeah. coaches they've had. Yeah. Who would you say was the, the best coach of the, the ones you were working with? Well, it's quite it's interesting. There was very, four very different styles. And mm. I think at the start, I would have to say Lip because he brought professionalism into it uh, uh, to a much more... Um, higher level than than the other coaches, and and he brought that German mentality. I think sometimes it was it was almost too much. I mean, uh, he he we used to train unbelievable amounts of of training sessions for the conditions. You know, hard pitches, uh, very hot temperatures. But his 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 vision was this professionalism, and he didn't wave from that. And in the end, we won the title with that. So I think you know you got to respect that in, in four or five years now that was the only title that Sydney have got so you know he, I think he's he's been the best one so far Kofi Danning <coughs> earlier this week was saying that uh, under Lovishka it's uh, the main thing is this new era of professionalism they've mm. got on the side now which considering he's only actually worked under Cosi and Steve O'Connor doesn't and Steve O'Connor still there <laughs> no but <laughs> No, but he's, I think he's, we can draw our yeah. own conclusions on that one. But I think he's, I think he's echoing the sentiments from the older players, and that's what I'm hearing as well. That mm-hmm. um, that this coach now is, he's got that European mentality of being professional. Everything's got to be professional, and it starts with even when you watch them play. If you if you see the way, you can literally see their tactics on the field. When they lose the ball, they've they they, they get two banks of four, and and they and they're very um, compact the way they play, and you can see that tactic on the field. So off the field. Um, it's, it's obviously pretty much the same. Um, and so you're cutting your teeth with Maccabi on a coaching level, is that right? Yeah, I am. Um, Eastern suburbs where, where, where I'm living at the moment and uh, it's quite interesting. That's obviously a different level but they're very passionate about their, their game and um, 
you know, the, the, it comes with its own challenges. A lot of the players are on holidays at the moment, so I'm literally can't. I literally school can't. holidays takes a little bit. the under twenty world cup. You're doing. I'm actually doing the all age team, but yeah, same same problem. <laughs> but yeah, the, the half the team goes goes on holiday somewhere, so I, I literally can't get a team together. <laughs> but you know, it's all good. <laughs> Different pressures um, yeah. and the media side of things. Something that I know you, you're keen on with Fox Sports News and you've been doing some stuff for ESPN as well yeah I've, I've started doing a bit of media stuff and I quite enjoy it um, I was uh, commentating on a few of the games at the Confederations Cup for SBS as well now and I, I just quite like it I like doing anything that's involved with the game and um, and, and the you know the, the reporting side or the analyst kind of side of things is is something that really um, I really enjoy and you know I've been fortunate that I've got a few gigs last year and hopefully um, I can improve on that this year. How, how do you find taking that jump, particularly in the first couple of years? We saw it with Shearer last year, you know, who's for, for since he's retired has been sat on the BBC mm. criticising coaches and, you know, away. Now, now he's actually won and finally it's not as easy as it looks. To learn. And how, so how do you find when you, when you cross over to the media side, being asked to be critical of players, players that you, you, you probably know, you've probably played mm. with, do you, do you have to sort of be careful of what you say do you, or do you, do you not think, do you just call it as you see it? I it's a tough one because I think you've got to have a knack for it um, for, for, you know for whether you're speaking on radio or TV or anything and and uh, I, I think I realise that when I'm asked the question about analysing a game I've got to put all kind of friendships aside and whether I know the player or not and I just really try and call it as I see it but I'm a little bit different I don't think that you need to criticise um, every every action that somebody does if things don't go right you don't have to straight away jump on and criticise them but if I see something that maybe I, th- I think could have been done differently or there's a reason why um, a team lost then, then I will definitely say it or if a player's playing bad I won't say that you know I'll, I'll say that but um, yeah, it's you've got to find the right balance, and and I think the more honest you are, the you know the the better you come across. And the final thing, obviously, I know we can't give away too much detail at the moment, but you are involved with a with a new initiative that's coming later in the year, which is going to be a, a national sort of small sided games tournament called Shoot Three V Three. That's right. Do you want to tell us what you can about that? I know we'll get you back on to talk nearer the time, but. Um, yeah, it's 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 really interesting actually because um, the concept is well, small-sided games is not a new concept, but this concept of three v three was uh, started in America, and America I think is very similar to. Uh, Australia in the sense of how we're trying to grow the game and it's probably not one of the, the, the top four sports it probably it, well it is, is now it's getting getting that way but um, certainly hasn't been uh, for a long time and, and they've got uh, in America they've got uh, I think it's over 60 events throughout the whole country and then it leads into a final where they play at Disney World and at Disney World they get uh, I think it's two and a half thousand players and 25,000 spectators that's only at the final alone that's not including all the players that 
play during the year and it's just absolutely massive and uh, and it's a simple concept uh, it's it's a tournament based uh, event so basically players go in there they create their own team they play these small sided games starting with 3v3 but um, you know it will increase to 4v4 and 5v5 so we'll have different kinds of um, small sided games and it'll be more of a fun kind of atmosphere so there'll be different things prizes to win and all that kind of stuff and just a little bit different for kids um, you know to come and start enjoying the game and the reason 3v3 you get more contact on the ball you score more goals and um, you know players can't really hide so you know more traditionally we've got 4v4 5v5 but 3v3 has, has worked brilliantly in the US and I think that um, it could be uh, you know very successful here as well yeah that sounds great Kev small sided games you you're a fan of the introduction obviously we're, we're now in the stage where I know that, 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 that my association of Sutherland Shire is voting at the moment on what age group it goes up to and the decision is does it go up to 11 so I saw that playing uh, 9v9 memo and I didn't understand it for the life of me I couldn't work out what the hell was going on well, but small sided games yeah I think yeah. it's a great idea but to what age do we do we think they're, they're under under 10 you know well, so 6, six 5, actually, 6, 7, 8, 9 or and then at what age do we think is right for them to go on to the full size pitch? This is where it all becomes complicated, but you know, judging by that men- a memo, there just didn't seem to be enough options. I would have said that up to seven or eight non-competitive small-sided games, and then I would take it up to 13, uh, but competitive games with goals uh, and winners and losers. Just judging by my own experience, you know, when I was uh, a kid, I grew up playing football <coughs> in the field behind my house. Very, very small pitch, top of a hill. We used to just bomb up and down. Loved it. Uh, and that was great. And I played till about 12, 13, just on that pitch. And then went on to a big full-scale pitch and got lost. You know, I just couldn't find my way to the goal. It was just too far away. Uh, so, you know, I don't think we should rush to put these kids on uh, big pitches. They're for grown-ups. They're for adults. They're not for kids. Yeah, Trev, your thoughts? Yeah, big fan. I played in a similar one. They play much like that in Spain, actually. I've met some Spanish guys before, and they're all about, they play with a small ball on a small pitch with a small amount of lads. And that's, well, we can see the technical ability their national team's got at the moment. If we can sort of get, you know, some of that filtering for over here, then that'd be ideal. And Dave, you, you growing up, coming through as a junior, presumably in, in that those, those years you'd have been just playing full-size pitches predominantly would you have been well when I was younger and, and definitely going through school I wasn't playing much football my father wanted me to go through through schooling but a lot of my development really well if you could call it development was through just playing with my friends in the park and I think uh, when you look at Brazil and, and these South American countries they all play on the beach or wherever they can get a, a football and they play small sided games and good the question how you know, to what age group do you go to? I think we should just be modelling it on on these countries and and basically doing the same thing that is what they do. I mean, it obviously works for them, and I don't think that it's anything so much to do with it being in your blood as in. I think they're just so passionate about playing everything they do is with a football in Brazil that's the first thing they do and I think that if we give that opportunity for kids here they'll be the same thing but small sided games great concept even at a at a you know A-league level ask any player they love playing small sided games so the more the better 
Okay. On that note, I think we're all in agreement that, that definitely small-sided games is uh, is crucial to developing the players of tomorrow. And we look forward to getting David back in later in the year when he's able to give us a bit more detail on shoot 3v3. But it certainly sounds like something to look forward to later in the year. Thanks a lot for joining us on 442 Insider. Thanks to online editor Kevin Ayres, deputy editor Trevor Trahan, and our special guest for this week, David Drillich. I'm Andy Jackson, publisher. Paul Hansford will be back from uh, Asia next week. We have it on good authority. He, uh, he has avoided the swine flu and will be coming back to, uh, to take over the hot seat next week. So uh, make sure you tune in next week again for 442 Insider. Goodbye. 442 Insider is a Helms Media Solutions production. Visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services.